Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about strawberries. Which is a little Valentine's Day tangential. Sure. Also a little late. But <laughs> Sure. Too late. Yeah, you can be in that spirit whenever you want. Exactly, yeah. I prefer for it not to actually be on Valentine's Day. See? And if you hit the sales right, this is perfect time. Oh, yeah. Valentine's Day. This is prime cheap candy season that you, I guess, if you're me, still feel guilty about because it's made with slave labor. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's good to know. Yeah. Good to be aware. And this is going to be a Lawrence Killjoy Corner episode later on. There's lots of other delightful stuff. Yes. Don't worry. Too much. Yeah, a regular amount of worry. Yeah. <laughs> Normal baseline worry. <laughs> yes. Oh, I think gosh. that's appropriate. That's appropriate. <laughs> well, I'll start with a pleasant memory of mine. Okay. I'll never forget the first time I had fresh strawberries and whipped cream, which is like it just seems so obvious, but I'd never had it. I think I was nine, eight or nine. Uh-huh. My grandparents were staying at the Ritz-Carlton in Midtown Atlanta because, yes, they had some money. Ooh. And they had a dessert buffet in their room. In their room? In their room. 
Dang. Dang, indeed. And my grandfather made me a bowl of strawberries and cream, and it was revelatory. Oh. Oh, my gosh. And I, I, I'm, A, delighted by this delightful memory, but B, like, I was like, I've never seen whipped cream plus strawberries called strawberries and cream before. I've always seen it um, as sweetened cream, like non-whipped cream, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes flavored with vanilla and stuff plus strawberries. Um, right. But a quick Google pulls up recipes both ways. So I don't know. Either way, delicious. Yes. I've never had it with the, the sweetened cream. Um, I'm a whipped cream gal, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess. I both are nice. I believe it. I believe it. I used to pick strawberries when we lived in Statesboro, Georgia. Um, And one of my favorite things was when my mom used to juice fresh strawberries and oranges. The best. The best. Yeah. And my fave smoothie flavor at my hometown mall was strawberry. Huh. Just straight strawberry. Just straight strawberry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, I went strawberry picking a few times up in Ohio when I was a little kid. But, uh, yeah, I haven't done it since I've been down here. Yeah. I think that might be a little kid activity. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm still pretty into being out in a field that smells like fresh strawberries. And I do grow strawberries at home. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. I've got a little plant that's very, very tenacious despite despite <laughs> our best efforts to kill it. It's still hanging on. It's it's still producing strawberries after like three years. Go. Good for you, strawberry plant. I know, right? Right. I am. Um, strawberries are forever associated with Iron Man 2 now for me. <laughs> Oh, right. Because there's that scene where uh, where Tony is trying to apologize to Pepper, and he brings her that flat of strawberries. Mm-hmm. And she's allergic to strawberries. And she's like, what's the one thing I'm allergic to? Yes. <laughs> and he's holding this heckin' flat of strawberries. Yes. It's it's real cute. Yes, it is. <laughs> they, they recovered from it eventually. Um, <laughs> they did. <laughs> I do have a friend who won't eat strawberries because of the seeds. She doesn't like eating seeds, oh. which I know is a thing. Yeah, yeah. I have some... Some friends who dislike uh, pomegranate for the same reason. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, before we get into our question, I just want to put in here, I found a 515-page book, I guess, on the strawberry. Uh, It's called The Strawberry, (laughs) right? it is. So it's clear, straight (laughs) to the point. I appreciated that. And my primary takeaway from it uh, was that it took folks a long time to figure out how strawberries work and that breeds of strawberries have fantastic names. Oh, that's really that's the takeaway from 515 pages. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't read it, <laughs> but I'm happy that you did. <laughs> it was very, very in depth about crossbreeding strawberries. Oh, yes. Okay. But okay, let's get to our question. Yes. Strawberries. What are they? Well, strawberries are small fruits from a number of species in the genus Fragaria. The cultivated variety that we're usually eating from supermarkets is a F. ananasa, and they're uh, usually a red, sort of round to oblong, heart or kind of tongue-shaped fruit with a yellow or tan or black seeds dotting the outer skin, um, though varieties that bear yellow fruit do exist as well. And yeah, they, they grow on um, herbaceous, meaning like soft and not woody, plants that lay close to the ground and can propagate by sending off shoots called runners, and they will dang propagate your whole yard if you do not contain them. Really? It's true. You will have strawberries pop up in places that you never expected strawberries to be. Another horror movie (laughs) idea. (laughs) Death by strawberry. Ah! (sighs) Uh, They grow pretty uh, little little white or yellow flowers with yellow centers that that then develop out into these greenish-white berries that eventually ripen into that red or yellow color um, and have like a bright, sweet flavors and just a touch of tartness. But 
I said berries. You did. That's kind of a lie. <gasps> I know. What? A strawberry is not, botanically speaking, a berry. What? So, what's a berry? Good question. Well, a berry is a type of fruit that's a fleshy throughout and does not contain anything um, stiff and structury inside other than the seeds. So, like, peaches and olives are not berries because they contain seeds. Check. But those seeds have, like, a hard outer shell. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, apples are not berries because uh, they have those those papery bits that are holding the seeds in the core. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And berries can have skins. Everything from grapes to eggplants to tomatoes to bananas to pineapples are botanical berries. But none of those have berries in the name. I know. So we have to return to our original question. What's a strawberry? The red fleshy part of a strawberry is technically not the fruit of the plant. It's the receptacle for the plant's fruits and seeds. The crunchy bits on the outside that your friend doesn't like, yes. uh, those are the fruits. Oh, my gosh. And they each contain a seed. Oh. The, the receptacle feeds the fruits and seeds. Like if you cut open a strawberry, um, you can see the tiny white threads or veins that run out from the center to each fruit and seed. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it entices – the receptacle entices animals to come eat the fruits and seeds and disperse them. And the fruits are hard to uh, help prevent the seeds from being digested during the process. This is my mind is blown. I know, right? Oh, man. Um, this type of fruit, like small hard ones that protect seeds, is called an aching, which leads to all sorts of good puns. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, thanks, by the way, to Botanist in the Kitchen, uh, which is a great blog for their excellent breakdown of how all of that works. And strawberries are used in all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Smoothies, juices, pies, cakes, wines, cheesecakes. Oh, yeah. Salads, soups, muffins, jams, candies, popsicles, ice cream. Over half of American children pick the strawberry as their favorite fruit. And all kinds of strawberry festivals. Popular when it comes to fragrances, too, and things like lip balms, candles, perfumes. The name derives from the practice of putting down straw around the plants to uh, to keep weeds down and keep the berries up off the ground. Um, Latin language group names, uh, uh, oh, gosh, can you help me with the, with the French one? Is that phrase? Phrase, mm-hmm. yeah, phrase uh, or fresa, um, stuff like that. They, they all derive from the berry's fragrance. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And speaking of, uh, what we perceive as being the scent of strawberries is about a dozen to a couple dozen compounds, but mostly one called HDMF or strawberry furanone um, or by brand name used in the food and scent industries, furaniol. Furaniol? Furaniol. Yes, that, sure, totally. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, also speaking of scent, the reason that those huge strawberries that you buy in the store can taste sort of like nothing um, is that over the past century or so, as they've been selectively bred to increase size and firmness, which by firmness, I really mean like durability for travel after picking, um, and overall crop yield, uh, the the sugar and flavor content have decreased. It's not always a trade-off, but it can be. Yeah, we were talking about that. We were talking about how there's nothing quite as sad or unsurprisingly, like surprisingly sad as a very bland strawberry. Yeah, right? Especially yeah. when they look so big and gorgeous and beautiful and you're like, yes. oh, man. And then it's just like this is this might as well be juicy cardboard. Right, <laughs> right. Because you, you're always, well, at least I would dig through and find the most colorful. And I think, oh, this one will be it. 
<gasps> not always. I always look for smaller ones at the store. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that the key? I feel like it is. Okay. I'll try. I'll try that method next time. But in the meantime, let's talk about nutrition. Uh, yeah. Um, with a punch of dietary fiber and just a boatload of micronutrients, um, including over 100% of your daily recommended value of vitamin C in just eight berries. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, strawberries are a great addition to your diet, um, though they are best paired with uh, something with protein and fat in it because, especially with their sugar content, they will help fill you up, but they will not keep you going on their own. Right. As we are kind of finding out because I ate mostly strawberries uh, this morning as I yep. was finishing my research, and uh, I'm, I'm a little wacky today, guys. <laughs> it's an experiment, and it's all for the show. There you go. <laughs> Plus, that's just what happened to be for our breakfast this morning, our work breakfast. Yes. So. Not my f- fault? No. But all in the name of science. Oh, sure. Science! <laughs> and we do have some numbers for you. Mm-hmm. As of 2017, Americans spent some $52 million on strawberries around Valentine's Day. I know, right? Whoa. How many of them were chocolate-covered? Oh, gosh. We may never know for sure. (laughs) (laughs) The strawberry industry is worth an annual $1.4 billion. By weight, strawberries are the fifth most consumed fresh fruit. The United States Department of Agriculture reports that per capita consumption of strawberries, fresh and frozen, at about 4.85 pounds. Most of the American yield comes from California. They produce an annual billion pounds a year. Uh, Yeah, like 80% of America's strawberries are grown in California, and a third of the strawberries in the world are from there. They are a big name in the strawberry world, as is this one, Driscoll. Uh, They are extremely protective of their breeds of strawberries, and they've been involved in at least one high-profile lawsuit alleging competitors have stolen their proprietary varieties, and their breeders are known as joy makers. Huh. Joy makers. Joy makers. That mm. is some interesting corporate spin. I love it. <laughs> we love some good corporate spin around hey. here. <laughs> Strawberries and cream is a popular Wimbledon tradition where almost 140,000 are sold. I did not know this. Yeah, me neither. But I, I guess I've never been uh, super up on my Wimbledon tradition. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that accounts for like 30 tons of strawberries in a two-week period. My brain <laughs> says no. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Move on. Because of the shape and color of strawberries, they have long been associated with love. It was the symbol of the goddess of love, Venus. And 17th century author Dr. William Butler once wrote, Doubtless God could have made a better berry, but doubtless God never did. Aww. Dang. Um, yeah, strawberry. That is that is some high praise for a strawberry. It is. And actually, there's a lot of really good strawberry quotes out there if that's something that interests you. <laughs> Do we went it. with that one. <laughs> but there are plenty. And there's also plenty of history. Oh, gosh, there is. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. (laughs) I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. 
But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. <laughs> West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, okay. (laughs) Wild strawberries have been around for a long, 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 long time, native throughout Europe and North America. However, early records of them are sparse since they weren't really a big part of agriculture back then. Since ancient times, people have been eating wild strawberries, but they didn't really seek them out since these versions would have been bitter and tough. Writings from ancient Rome mentioned strawberries in the context of their medicinal use. They believed it worked for all kinds of things, kidney stones to melancholy and other depressive illnesses. Uh Roman poets Virgil and Ovid mentioned strawberries in their works in 1st century CE, but they mentioned them more in the context of a decoration than a food. Pliny mentioned it also, but only briefly. Yes. 
They were mentioned in a 1990-1000-CE-ish Japanese book, and they were mentioned there as a sweet treat. In 1916 CE, King Charles III of West Francia knighted a citizen who presented him with a plate of delicious strawberries as phrase, the French word for strawberry, and he presented him with a coat of arms with two diagonal lines with strawberry leaves in three quadrants. A century later, the king of France asked the strawberry clan, the strawberry clan, to go to Scotland to subdue a rebel named Macbeth. The name was anglicized to Fraser. And this comes back in a minute. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) During medieval times in Europe, strawberries often symbolize righteousness and perfection. Because of that, stonemasons carve strawberries in altars and around the tops of pillars in cathedrals and churches. Strawberries appeared in art and miniatures across Europe. People ate them, too, sometimes boiled with spices and served on bread, Mm -hmm. which I'm intrigued by. I know, right? This was all during the time of illumination, when artists started adopting a more natural, liberated style. Monks were a big part of this, using this style in their prayer books. This was happening simultaneously with a desire to glorify the Virgin. Several paintings depict this, whether it's Joseph holding out a strawberry to Jesus to convince him to walk to him, or a group of angels gathering strawberries for the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus. The strawberry was becoming more widely known at this time and was admired for its beauty. By the way, this style of illumination... If you've ever seen the classic Valentine's Day movie, Midsummer, uh, very similar <laughs> to some of the art that they used. Uh, anyway, the three partitions. That is now my favorite Valentine's movie. You know, they showed it at the plaza on Valentine's Day. They did. Anyway, <laughs> the ultimate breakup film. Uh, The three-partition leaf of the strawberry was believed to represent the Holy Trinity, the strawberry itself, a drop of Christ's blood, and the five flower petals, the five wounds of Christ. In 1386, the royal gardens of King Charles V had 12,000 strawberry plants. In 1485, one of the first botanical illustrations of a strawberry appeared in herbaries. They were still largely viewed as ornamental, though. Europeans were cultivating strawberries by the 1300s, particularly in France, where it was seen as an aphrodisiac. Oh, yep. Uh-huh. Newlyweds frequently were served strawberry soup, which I've had and is delicious. Oh, really? Huh. Oh, yeah. It's just kind of like a chilled puree of strawberries and I think cream. That does sound delicious. It's really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Hieronymus Bosch painted strawberries into his uh, famous or perhaps infamous uh, Garden of Earthly Delights triptych around the year 1500. Mm-hmm. The large-scale cultivation of European strawberries was taking place in Paris by the 1600s. This was around the time it started to become equally food and ornamental. Cardinal Thomas Wosley, a member of King Henry VIII's court, gets the credit for coming up with the combo of strawberries and cream in 1509, although it was almost definitely a chef that came up with it. Probably. I can't imagine he spent that much time in his kitchen. I I doubt it. I doubt it. He was integral in the construction of Hampton Court in Tudor, England, an establishment that fed over 600 people twice a day. And this dessert was an easy one to prepare for a large amount of people. 500 points of good husbandry out of 1557 suggested that strawberry cultivation was an appropriate, quote, employment for women. Wife into the garden and set me a plot with strawberry roots, the best to be got. Such growing abroad among thorns in the wood, well chosen and picked, prove excellent good. Okay. Sure. I like strawberries, too. I feel like I just 
set a spell and I'm going to have some kind of weird strawberry experience later. Uh, only, only you can make your dreams possible. <laughs> I, <laughs> you're right. You're right. I need to take control over my own destiny. <laughs> The 1593 book Gardener's Labyrinth came with this tidbit about strawberries. They be much eaten at all men's tables in the summertime with wine and sugar, and they will grow in gardens until the bigness of the mulberry. The strawberry requires small labor, but by diligence of the gardener becometh so great that the same yieldeth fair and big berries as the berries of the bramble in the hedge. (laughs) The bramble in the hedge. The bramble in the hedge. Mm -hmm. In 1709... Louis XIV's doctor apparently forbade him from eating strawberries for reasons unknown, Um, though uh, the book History of Food suggests that it may have been because he was known to overindulge in anything that he liked and that strawberries were his favorite fruit, especially in wine, Mm -hmm. Um, because apparently the the fashion at the time dictated that strawberries and cream was a ladies' dish. Oh, no. Can't have that. No. Um, He also apparently held a poetry competition about strawberries. Well, that's kind of endearing. Yeah. Um, there's a couple poems in French if you want to attempt to read them. Yeah. Or <laughs> if we can get Casey on the case in here. And- <laughs> Casey on the case. <laughs> Our many listeners wants to send us some kind of slam poetry reading about strawberries. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I'd be amazing. In 1712 or 1714, differs depending on the source, mm-hmm. a French mathematician slash map maker also sometimes described as a spy, okay. named Amade Francois Frézier, returned from Chile with the Chilean strawberry, descended from, this guy was descended from the aforementioned Frasers. Okay. The strawberry clan. Okay. Yes. This strawberry, the Chilean strawberry, was desired for its size, but the European climate did not suit the Chilean strawberry until it was crossed with the Virginia strawberry, a New World variety that arrived in Europe in the 1600s, resulting in our modern garden strawberry in 1750-ish in Brittany, France. Yeah, like no one did this on purpose. It was just this wonderful accident or or at least like an accident that led to the uh, sturdier, larger berries that we know today um, and which at the time were able to be shipped out to Paris and London. Yes, the book I mentioned at the top, The Strawberry, 515 pages. I mean, it was... Just so many experiments of crossing strawberries with different strawberries, and they didn't know why it was happening or what was working. What, like, they couldn't figure out. Like, what specifically about this plant versus this plant right. led to this other plant. Right. And the terminology was described in ways that was very confusing because it was, like, masculine strawberry versus feminine strawberry. Oh, yeah. There's a whole thing <laughs> with the sex of strawberries. Yeah. It's actually super fascinating. I didn't make notes about it because it's also kind of dull. <laughs> Yeah. And and complicated. It's somehow both at the same time. Well, there are, okay, quick sidebar. Mm-hmm. There are masculine ones, there are male strawberries and female strawberries, and there are some hermaphrodite strawberries. Right. And the way that they breed, therefore, can be a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. They are also, um, like, the most recent plant known to have developed male and female plants. Mm-hmm. Most plants originally were hermaphroditic, but yeah, I don't know. The strawberry. The strawberry. I, this is why I didn't <laughs> prepare. It was very complicated <laughs> in that book, but they were, they were into it. Yeah. Again, that was one of my main takeaways. They were determined to figure this out. They were really into it. 
All right, back to some history. In 1764, 17-year-old Antoine Nicolas Duchesne gifted a pot of Chilean strawberries to King Louis XV. The berries were painted for the Royal Botanic Library, and Duchesne was tasked with raising more of these strawberries at the Versailles Kitchen Garden. He went on to write a treatise on strawberries at, like, 17. Huh. And I think it took him several years, but he was very young when it came out. Dang. He was, like, seen as the expert on the strawberry for a while. Cool. So good for that guy. Yeah. Legend goes that prominent member of Napoleon's court, Madame Tallien, bathed in fresh strawberry juice. We don't know how frequently. Okay. But one bath called for 22 pounds of strawberries. 22 pounds of gosh. But wouldn't you just be sticky? I feel like you would just be sticky. And then all the flies and bees would come at you. Did she think this through? (laughs) Maybe it is just a legend. Maybe that's just one of those stories people said. Uh, Yeah. Um, When the first European colonists arrived in North America, they found that wild strawberries were abundant. Native Americans used them in their cooking. Strawberry bread was probably present at the earliest American feast. Mm Mm-hmm. This meant that strawberries weren't really cultivated until the 19th century when a fancy new dessert had a meteoric rise, strawberries and cream. Yep. New York became the center of strawberry production and shipping after the advent of refrigerated railroad cars. They were a popular street food in big cities, this strawberries and cream. Oh, okay. street food. Yeah. One Cherokee legend describes an argument between a man and a woman, and she runs from the man. The man implored the creator to slow her down so he could catch up with her and apologize to her. So the creator threw down berries to slow her down, but she didn't stop until she encountered strawberries. She filled a basket with them and returned to the man ready to forgive. Yeah, by the time the guy caught up, she was like, oh, man, we've got strawberries. And he was like, I like those, too. Yeah. (laughs) Strawberries bring people together. I don't know if I'd use them. You know, your mileage may vary in arguments, but... Maybe Tony Stark knows about this legend, and that's why he brings Pepper the strawberries. Yeah, maybe he knew what he was doing all along. (laughs) We don't give Tony Stark enough credit. (laughs) For his Cherokee mythology. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We don't. It's true. It's true. We need to reconsider this. U.S. strawberry production was common by 1825. And that's around when large-scale production began in Europe, too. Uh, Throughout the 1800s, more strawberries were produced in the U.S. and Europe, uh, partially because the Industrial Revolution and its speedy trains and ships allowed um, these still relatively delicate berries to make it into cities from far-flung farms, thus calling for more production. Yes. Mm -hmm. In 1838, horticulturist Charles Hovey debuted the Hovey cultivar. In 1850, we had the first strawberry festival. Strawberries and cream were a feature at the very first Wimbledon held in 1877. I almost went on a very big Wimbledon rabbit hole, but I had to pull it together. Oh, good for you. (laughs) Yes, but if anyone's ever been and knows about the food traditions there. Oh, absolutely. Let us know. Oh, gosh. We'll have to go. Well, we'll have to have a derby episode, a Wimbledon episode, yes. all the things. I can play some tennis. I can't compete in Wimbledon, but I <laughs> I played tennis back in my day. So I would appreciate it, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Cool. Yeah, cool. During World War II, what would become Driscoll's uh, when a group of growers hired some breeders and began their journey to dominating the berry market, sort of got its first, its foundation, I guess, mm-hmm. prior to that, um, and Japanese internment, Japanese immigrants dominated the U.S. strawberry market. 
While modern strawberries were introduced in Japan in the 1840s, first as decorations, it wasn't until the spread of greenhouses during and after World War II that strawberries became more affordable and widespread there. Also, after World War II, um, in the 1950s, so, okay, for, for about 30 years, farmers in California had been struggling with this soil-borne fungus um, that would cause strawberry crops to wilt. It's frequently called wilt. Mm-hmm. Um, researchers in the 50s finally came upon a combination of compounds that could combat this. Unfortunately, that combination was two toxic compounds, chloropicrin, um, which is a tear gas that was used in World War I, and methyl bromide, which is a pesticide that was started to be used in World War II. But this combo was so effective at killing wilt fungi that it became basically the industry standard to fumigate your strawberry soil with the combination. Like, apparently banks in California would not lend money to farmers who were not fumigating. Oh, wow. Um, It allowed yields to increase um, and growers to focus on creating new varieties. Right. And in 1958, Driscoll debuted their first proprietary strawberry, Z5A. And the industry does still use these compounds, even though they're a danger to the environment and farm workers and local communities who get exposed to them. Um, There's an excellent episode of the podcast Gastropod all about it. Um, The episode is called Running on Fumes, Strawberry's Dirty Secret. It came out just last year in 2019. Um, Go check that out for lots more. Short story, uh, there are alternatives being investigated. Um, For example, lots of farmers in Europe use greenhouses and either hydroponics or other media than soil. uh, But unfortunately, those methods are kind of expensive. And so the industry has built it up to such a point that it would cost more than it's worth to a lot of farmers to switch over. A little bit more on that in a second. In the meanwhile, uh, (laughs) strawberry fields. So I totally forgot about this. When I was doing the outline, I just kind of randomly thought about that. Just put strawberry fields forever question mark. And Lauren (laughs) answered my question. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So um, the Beatles song, Strawberry Fields Forever, came out in 1967. um, And it is partially in reference to this Salvation Army location in Liverpool, England, which is a uh, Victorian-era house and the surrounding grounds which were called Strawberry Field. Um, So John Lennon spent time there as a kid and eventually wrote this song. Um, It was a children's home from the 1930s through almost the end of the century and has been reopened as a historic site and education center for local kids with uh, with differing learning abilities. There's also a part of a central park called Strawberry Fields that was dedicated to Lennon in 1981, the year after his uh, death in his home near Central Park. Yes. And as you can imagine, quite a big tourist draw. Mm-hmm. But usually there's someone playing music and yeah, very pretty over there. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a nice little uh, stone mosaic with the Imagine in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, researchers mapped the first genome of a strawberry in 2011, um, the, the wood strawberry, which is F. vesca. Um, the common commercial variety didn't get its genome mapped all the way until 2019. Um, it's more complicated. Uh, it, it has eight sets of chromosomes meaning it has four direct parents. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot to contend with, like, genetically speaking. Um, uh, but, yeah, this genome map might lead to new developments in breeding varieties that have more of the traits that we want, like flavor and resistance to pests like wilt um, and fewer that we don't want, which in turn might finally help get those toxic compounds out of the industry. Um 
like like it's it's bad, y'all. Like like one of the downsides of uh, of methyl bromide is that it contributes to ozone depletion. Ooh. Um, but it's considered so crucial to large-scale strawberry production that the industry, the strawberry industry, has successfully lobbied for its continued use for 30 years. Wow. Um, albeit it's been scaled back to just in nurseries as of 2016, but it's still like, whew, gosh. There's also a whole book about that uh, called Wilted, Pathogens, Chemicals, and the Fragile Future of the Strawberry Industry. Um, if you're looking for a... Uh, Interesting, if slightly depressing, read. Something to supplement Killjoy Corner. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I think it's hopeful in the end because it's saying that that with better farming practices and more awareness of all of these compounds that we started using in the 1900s that aren't great, right? <laughs> that or that are good for very specific things, but are not great for other reasons. Um, that by just being more aware of stuff like that and by changing. Um, consumer and industry expectations about the cost of food, that we can all make good change in the world. And we all want to do that. We do. Yes. And and I and I wanted to end on a slightly nicer note than that one. <laughs> so so tell us a nice story, Eddie. Okay, okay. So as I was doing the research for this episode, there was one variety of strawberry that kept coming up. It was kind of like a white whale almost. Like people yeah. would mention it and I didn't really know what they were talking about. <laughs> But I found a whole article that in 2016, David Karp at the Smithsonian reported on the journey of horticulturist Harry Jan Schwartz to try and breed the favorite strawberry of Jane Austen Okay, uh, that has long been out of the rotation. And it's called the musk strawberry. Yes, because of its, of its musky scent. Oh, yeah. It has a very strong smell. It was described as spicy and floral and a mix of honey and wine and cheese. Huh. Yeah. Okay. It was a popular cultivar in Europe from the 16th to the 19th centuries, and Jane Austen loved it. Loved it. But they were soft and didn't transport well, so they fell out of fashion in favor of hardier cultivars. They were still around. They were just very, very rare. FDR fell in love with them after trying some as a child while traveling in Germany. So much so, he asked the Secretary of Agriculture to dabble into musk varieties of strawberries. Huh. It's like, we got to get these we back. Got, yes. <laughs> Bring me my strawberries. Yeah. Huh. Um, it's a, it was a really interesting read. We're giving you a lot of little sources you can go check out after this. <laughs> but it was cool because the, the person who was trying to bring these back just described him trying, like, all of these strawberries. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's what I understand a lot of strawberry researchers wind up doing, just eating, like, a lot of strawberries and being like, huh, no, not quite. Yeah. Like, right. oh, maybe this one? Mm, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine that. You know, our, our very first episode we did on sparkling wine, the um, our friend, the Sabreur, he said something that stayed with me to this day, was that he was waiting until his palate was refined enough oh. to be able to appreciate some really expensive, I think from the Titanic. Yeah, bottle yes. of something that he's just saving. He's like, yeah, my palate's not developed enough right. to taste it yet, so I'm just going to wait. I still think about that. <sighs> yeah, but I mean, I guess if every day you're trying strawberries, you learn to pick out on the <laughs> certain things. Uh, yeah, I guess. Gosh. Gosh. Very impressive. Mm -hmm. Very impressive. That's about what we have to say on the strawberry. We do have a little bit more for you, but first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. 
we've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. <laughs> I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. <laughs> West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener Mail. Beautiful. <laughs> Except for my elbow hit the mic. I apologize for uh, that. You know. I had to do the choreography. <laughs> uh. 
Laura wrote, you don't know how excited I was today to open my podcast app to see the title Waxing Poetic About Sticky Rice in my podcast feed. As someone with a Thai mother who was born and lived for a few years in Vientiane, Laos, I have tried my whole life to express my love and admiration for glutinous rice, or as we always called it growing up, sticky rice. We ate it with almost every meal, much like how other cultures use bread to mop up sauces. We use balls of sticky rice to scoop up lard, topped with spicy satay and swirl and papaya salad. Ooh. <laughs> But no one I grew up with had ever heard of it. And even nowadays, it is rare to find on Asian menus. Once a friend of mine asked how to make sticky rice like they serve with Chinese takeout. I was aghast. First, I informed him that the rice from Chinese takeout was not sticky rice. And then proceeded to inform him that to make rice that doesn't cook into individual little loose grains, I would be impossible to lift with a pair of chopsticks. He had to start with a rice that does not come from a box and has nothing to do with the San Francisco treat. <laughs> my two girls grew up loving sticky rice, too, which became a bit awkward when I took my youngest to her pediatrician and the doctor asked her what her favorite foods were. In addition to glutinous rice, my daughter loves steamed artichokes. So her three-year-old reply was, stinky rice and leaves. She didn't know they were called artichokes. <laughs> I could only wonder what my doc thought I fed my child on the daily. <laughs> Stinky rice and leaves. I mean, it sounds of the thing she could have said. Yeah, that's not the worst. <laughs> not the worst. <laughs> Three-year-olds are good at the worst. Yes, yes, they are. Oh, um, Antonio wrote, I'm the longtime listener who wrote in last year about the pineapple mention in The Favorite. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I was catching up on episodes that came out around the holidays, and the pineapple redux episode was like an awesome belated New Year's surprise. I've visited Hawaii quite a bit in the past few years, so I really enjoyed the episodes related to your trip, especially the visit to a pineapple farm. I just got back from Kauai, where I toured the Kauai Sugarloaf Pineapple Farm. The Kauai Sugarloaf is a white pineapple that's super sweet and fleshy that you can even eat the core. Unfortunately, the pineapples are in short supply, and the farm had a lot of back orders. Each person was only able to bring back a baby pineapple you picked, so we made sure to power wash them twice to ensure that they could pass agricultural inspections to bring back to the mainland. We gave one to our pineapple-obsessed friend who is attempting to plant them in our considerably cooler Northern California climate. This friend, on a previous trip to Hawaii, vowed to eat a pineapple a day. That scheme came in handy when we went to the beach and my husband and I both got stung by jellyfish. We had no remedies nearby and didn't want to pee on the wound. We realized we needed something acidic to neutralize the sting. Our friend had packed some pineapple chunks as snacks for his family, so we just started rubbing our limbs with pineapple chunks, which did the job just fine. As for the sugarloaf pineapple, they're only sold at farmer's markets and stores on Kauai and at a few specialty grocery stores, when in supply, on Oahu and Maui. One can order and get them shipped to the mainland. But better yet, you can all do another savor field trip to the islands you missed and visit the farm yourselves. A pineapple a day keeps the stingers away. Well, there you go, if it's doctor recommended. <laughs> I suppose we have to return. I guess we got to go. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> I never would have thought to put pineapple on a jellyfish sting, but now my mind is expanded. There you go. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. We learn such wonderful things from y'all listeners. We really do. And we would love to continue to do so. Mm-hmm. So thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SaverPod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer.